Vision of Love song, you, you know, I mean, that song right there just captivated me, and I was like, oh my God, who is this? And, you know, um, following that song, you know, throughout the 90s, it was always a constant battle. Who was better, Mariah or Whitney? It was like in the 80s, Prince, Michael Jackson, um, you, you know, it, it's the old sausage, pepperoni, whatever you prefer. Um, but the 90s, Mariah Carey definitely dominated. Um, 
Her voice is just impeccable. It, 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 you know, um, it, it's it's one of the greatest one or two. Michael, LeBron, you know, whatever, whatever you prefer. Um, but the hits, the songwriting, um, it's, 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 I, I, I find it hard to really like this be her being number one. Um, and that forever song, that one is the one right there for me personally, separates her from Whitney. Um, she had the better songs, the more number ones. She was more dominant. She was the GOAT of the 90s, and she is the greatest female singer of all time. Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of the Legends of Sports and Music this is your host, the OG Rob Silver, and today we honor another legendary musician, singer, songwriter, the incomparable Mariah Carey. You heard Vision of Love, her first hit, her first single, her first release off the Mariah Carey debut album, which went to number one. One of 19 number ones in Mariah's historic career. And then you heard my friend Rob, Rob Sugar Hill from Philly. What's up, Rob? Rob, I would not argue with you if you claim that Mariah was the greatest female singer of all time. She's on the short list. She's on that Aretha Franklin, Whitney Houston, Sade, Gladys Knight, Barbara Streisand, you name it, she's on that level. She's had an incredible 32-year career. And this despite the fact that she had to undergo trauma as a young girl, as a teenager, as a young wife, to a bastard named Tommy Matola, and I will get to that bastard very soon. She had to deal with uh, mental issues. She's overcome so much. And today, she's only 10 months younger than me. I'm 54. She's 53. Mariah looks better today, in my opinion, than she did Back in 1990 when she first debuted at the tender age of 21. And what a voice. What a voice. Vision of love. I will be referring to her autobiography that came out two years ago called The Meaning of Mariah Carey throughout this podcast. Because that book is an amazing book in which Mariah strips her soul. She bears her soul to the audience and talks about everything she had to overcome in her life to be one of the greatest of the greats. When it comes to Vision of Love, by the way, she wrote the song, and it was produced by the legendary producer, Narada Michael Walden. Narada Michael Walden 
is one of the greatest producers when it comes to writing and producing for young women. He's had incredible success with not only Mariah Carey, because he produced two songs on this album, but the greatest youth, female teenage singer of all time, in my opinion, and Stacey Lattisaw. He wrote and produced several of her hits, and she had amazing run as a teenage as a teenager. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he even wrote and produced her incredible duet, Perfect Combination, with Johnny Gill. And then, after he worked with Mariah, he went on to help write and produce Shanice Wilson's uh, debut album. And I Love Your Smile was a massive, massive, massive hit. Massive. That was one of the biggest hits of 1992. I Love Your Smile, written and produced by the legendary Narada Michael Wilson, who, um, I I butchered the brother's name. I am sorry. Narada Michael Walden. Narada Michael Walton, my brother. Tremendous, tremendous um, artist. Mariah Carey wrote the song. Narada Michael Walden produced it. It was number one hit. And it showcased Mariah's incredible voice. And she did the background vocals for the song. You hear in the background, Mariah, I believe... They overdubbed her voice, and and Walden was a master at that. And in her autobiography, Mariah, whose toughest critic was always her father, because her father didn't want Mariah to be a singer. He wanted her to, to do something with her education and to be better than him. But her gift was music, and Mr. Carey, Alfred Roy Carey, her father, didn't think that that was a dream worth achieving. But Mariah proved him wrong. And when the song came out, she played the song for her father. And her father said, wow, you sound like all three Pointer Sisters. And Mariah was beaming with pride. Then the following year at the 1991 Grammys, Mariah won two Grammy Awards. Her father was like, well, you know, you won two awards, but uh, Quincy Jones won seven. You got to work harder. Her father always dealt in tough love and discipline and achieving as much as possible. And according to Mariah in her book, it reminded her of when she was going to grade school, junior high school, high school, and she would show him her grades. And if she got all A's, he's like, well, how come it's not A plus? <laughs> he, was, he was tough to please. He was tough to please. But what I love about the autobiography, the meaning of Mariah Carey, is that Mariah Carey put to bed the slanderous uh, rumor that the media had spread throughout her entire career that her father had left her when she was five, had left her mother when, when Mariah was five, 
and that was it. There was never any more contact. And that's bullshit, all right? Mariah, for several years, every Sunday would visit her father on Sundays. So her father was part of her life until, I believe, according to the book, when high school came, they, they, the, the Sundays became, instead of weekly, monthly, because not only was she attending high school, but she was also working as a back, background singer for singers like Brenda K. Starr. So Mariah, you know, was bit, would, would be busy on Sundays a lot. So they would see each other uh, once a month throughout high school. And then finally, at 21, when she makes it big with this first huge hit, she plays it for her father. And her father, you could tell. There was some pride there when he said, you you sound like all three Pointer Sisters, and uh, it got a chuckle. But then the year later at the Grammy Awards, he's like, you won two, but Quincy won seven. You got to do better. You got to be on his level. Oh, man. I, I Well, at least we know that he was a constant force in her life throughout her childhood into early adulthood. Vision of Love is, man, the first time I heard that song. Vision of Love is a tremendous song, a classic song. Um, first time I heard that song, summer of 1990. I'm working in the mailroom. I'm a supervisor of a mailroom for a law firm, law firm called Brown and Wood. We were located at Two World Trade Center. This was several years. This was June of 90. So it was 11 years before the 9-11 bombings that blew up both one, two, and then out of nowhere, Seven World Trade just uh, collapsed to the ground. I don't, don't, don't ask me why. I never understood that. No, <laughs> no plane came near Seven World Trade Center. But we're not here talking politics. We're here talking Mariah Carey. So I'm... Um, Supervising the mailroom at the time, and the song comes on Kiss FM, and I hear this song, and I'm like, "Who is this?" And the, uh, and I'm I'm 22 at the time, and the entire mailroom are kids from 18 to 25, so I'm supervising people in my generation, people in my age group, and they're like, "Oh, Rob, I I never heard of her before, but she sounds great." I said, "Yeah." I gotta find out who this is. So the song is played like three, four more times before the end of my shift. And finally, and I believe it was Wendy Williams because she was the afternoon disc jockey at the time on Kiss FM. This was Wendy pre shock jock Wendy. This was Wendy pre uh breast job, pre implants. This was heavy set Wendy who was mad cool on the radio. She wasn't controversial. She sounded like your homegirl that you could kick it, kick it with, that you could chill with. That was the Wendy Williams I loved before uh, the car wreck that she became. But back in 1990, she was probably, next to Frankie Crocker and Ken Spider-Webb, my favorite uh, music disc jockey on the radio. And she was the afternoon drive-by um, not drive by. What you call that? Uh, rush hour. So the 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 the, the drive the the rush hour drive 
The Rush Hour Drive disc jockey on Kiss FM, I believe she was 4 to 8 at the time, or 6 to 10. Probably 6 to 10. I think she was 6 to 10. So anyway, heard, heard her announce, uh, announce uh, there's a new artist called Mariah Carey, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, Vision of Love. I gotta get, I gotta, I gotta find out if the album's out, and I gotta find out more on this, because, ladies and gentlemen, back in 1990, you had to do diligent search a diligent research in order to find out about an artist. It's not like today you type in Mariah Carey's name and boom, date of birth, hometown, who who she's seeing, if she ever had children, blah, blah, blah. Back in 1990, she was a mystery. There was no, none of that. Even if you went to the microfilm, microfiche at the library, she's a new artist. There wouldn't be anything on her. All I know is Wendy said, that she was a New York native. As the as the months went by and all these songs came out, songs that will be playing on the radio, I mean, on the podcast, songs that were played on the radio back then, but songs that will be playing this podcast, more and more information came out on her. And the first time that um, I saw what she looked like was uh, maybe three weeks after I first heard her that day on Kiss FM in the mailroom. The music video for Vision of Love came out. And back then you had Friday night videos on Friday nights on NBC and Saturday morning videos, which I believe was hosted by Malcolm Jamal Warner on Saturday mornings as part of the Saturday morning um, lineup on NBC. And so I'm sitting there with my, 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 um, my mother and father and Mariah Carey, Vision of Love comes out. And my father at first was like, wow, who's that? She's beautiful. And my father, whenever he saw a fair-skinned woman or man or or very light-skinned or light brown, the first thing he asked is, man, is she Puerto Rican? Rob, is she Puerto Rican? I said, Pop, her last name is Carrie. That doesn't sound Puerto Rican to me, man. What are you talking about? My father, very proud, always wanna, always wanted to uh, claim somebody that was Puerto Rican because he was a black Puerto Rican. And then, then he goes, well, if she's not Puerto Rican, maybe she's Italian, maybe she's white. And my mother, my mother quickly stated, she can't be, uh, she can't be white, Silver. She called my father by his last name because I'm Robert Jr., he's Robert Sr., so to identify us, to differentiate one from the other, she called him Silver and me Robert or Rob. And so she said, Silver, that hair, her hair, her hair is very curly and coarse. She's not white. She's either she's either uh, uh, mulatto or very, very, very high yellow. What was the word she was using? Um, she, mulatto. Oh, she could even be an albino. I said, Mom, she's not an albino. Look how pretty she is. She's not an albino. But my mother was right. She was a mulatto. She was biracial. We found that out a few months ago. I mean, not a few months ago. A few months later, we found out that Mariah Carey was a mulatto, biracial, whatever the term you want to use. And I became an even bigger fan because... Anybody who knows me, I support all black athletes, artists, actors. I support them more than 
any other race because I'm a black Puerto Rican and I support my people. And so I bought the album and I tried to read as much about her as I could. Found out that she was uh, discovered by Tommy Mottola, who at the time was president of Sony, uh, Sony Music and the most powerful man in the music industry. She comes out with this massive, massive hit, Vision of Love, and it looks like things are off to a great start for her. And it, and it is. She winds up having an even bigger start than I could have even thought of when I first heard Vision of Love. The success began to multiply. And we will continue to talk about her success after the next song. Another number one hit that came out in 1990. And that song is called Love Takes Time. But before we play Love Love Takes Time, we're going to listen to Aja, my friend, the very beautiful uh, author. I'm going to give you information on her new book that is coming out the same day as this podcast. So go ahead and if you went to erotic novels and, and, and romance, I highly recommend you reading her work. But anyway, we will listen for listen to Aja's voice note, and then we will go to Love Takes Time. And then we will, we will talk about both the voice note and the song on the other side. My mother bought me Mariah Carey's Mariah Carey album on cassette and I played it on my little purple cassette player every day after school every single day and I absolutely loved the very first song Vision of Love I would sing it and I know I had to sound terrible because the one thing that I learned listening to Mariah and trying to sing Mariah's songs was that I was not a soprano. I was not a soprano. I found that out. I was born into a family that had singers in it. Um, My grandfather sang in a male chorus group. My aunt sang in a chorus or choir that traveled the country. She sang in the church choir a couple other singers in my family and I was you know like a budding singer not not thinking that I you know would go anywhere with it or do anything with it but I enjoyed music that much that I love singing it too and I thought that I was sounding like the people singing the songs but I found out when I started to sing Mariah Carey that I did not have her voice that I had to find my own way because I was not a soprano. She actually taught me how to sing an octave lower. And I found that out when I went to try out for a choir and I intentionally sang an octave beneath the soprano part. And the choir director was like, do you know what you're doing? Like you're singing an octave lower. And I'm just like, I'm singing where my voice is. And I learned that I was a second alto. So I feel like Mariah Carey taught me that 
that I did not have the pipes to sing up there with the birds. But she did it so beautifully and um, was so inspiring, you know, reminding me of like Minnie Rippleton where she could hit that note that like nobody else could hit. That she could hit that note that like you would see in movies where uh, the glass would break and shatter the crystal would shatter because just that's just how high that note was that Mariah could hit and it was flawless it was flawless but even when I think about vision of love I think it was like the precursor to who I am today as a romance writer and I know it always comes down to that with me I always mention it because it's what I do. It's who I am. This is this is my life. I write about love. I write about relationships. I write about, you know, the it coming in and the, the falling out and all of the parts in between um, and the forever kind of love. I enjoy that. So most of the music that I listen to is centered around the experience of first self-love and then uh, love we find with someone else. And vision of love is like a story of a woman who hoped for something and found it. Who had a vision of love and it came to be. And I know I always say it, but it's such a beautiful thing. I can't say that I have bought all of Mariah's albums or even listened to all of them. There's a lot of music I didn't listen to. But uh, her first few were just so pure in her vocals. She's just a power, well, she was a powerhouse vocalist that could teach a lot of people like what singing really is. Just an amazing, amazing voice. Um, and I just feel honored again to be able to add my perspective and my experience with an artist on your show, Robert. So thank you so much for asking me uh, to participate and to share. Ooh, 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 ooh
first off, before I speak about Aja's voice note and the song Love Takes Time, want to give a quick plug to Aja's new book that's out today. As you're listening, or if you've listened to this podcast three, four, five months from now, a year, two from now, it's on Amazon under her name, Aja, A-J-A. And the name of the book is called Smoke. And it's part of the Enigma series book one. And uh, real quick, for Kindle, the Kindle version is only $5.99. And paperback, $15.99. So, I mean, a great deal for a much-needed aphrodisiac for those who uh, are in need of some sexual stimulation with their partner. Aja is a phenomenal writer, and she always gives me phenomenal contributions with her voice notes. This is no exception. Mariah, through default, taught Aja that she wasn't a soprano. She was a second alto. She lowered the octave on her voice because she saw that she couldn't keep up trying to sing a Mariah song. Mariah Carey's mother was an opera singer. Mariah Carey was classically uh, uh, classically musically trained and had that gift from when she was three, four years old. Her mother saw it. Her mother being a, a singer saw that her daughter had the potential to be a singer, to be a great singer. About 17 years ago, I believe it was 2005, and I wish they um more celebrities, politicians, <clears throat> athletes, black leaders would do something like this. <clears throat> Oprah Winfrey had the Legends Ball in which she invited African-American women several generations that were highly successful in all walks of field, all walks of life, all types of fields. And it was a star-studded cast. Michelle Obama, Mariah Carey, Whitney Houston, Tina Turner, Shaka Khan, Patti LaPelle, Maya Angelou, everything hosted by Oprah. And, you know, that's just tip of the iceberg. The greatest opera singer of all time was there, uh, Leontine Price. And at the time, she was 76 years old. Leontine Price, I believe, is still alive at 93, 94. Anyway, during this event, Leontine Price went up to Mariah and told Mariah that she had been following her career since day one that she had a beautiful gift, and that she was proud of Mariah. Mariah writes this in the book. Mariah also told Oprah in an interview two years ago about how that was one of the most proudest days of her life because a legend told her that she admired her, that she was rooting for her, that she was a fan of hers. That that would be like, uh, to make a quick boxing analogy, Sugar Ray Leonard, after having beaten Roberto Duran and Thomas Hearns, to have been told by Muhammad Ali, his idol, 
that he was proud of him, that 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 he admires him. At that point in time, Mariah was going through a professional slump. A year later, she would come back with uh, an incredible album. More on that probably in part three. I won't get to that today, but it was one of the greatest comebacks in music history. And who who who's to say that the words from Miss Leontine Price didn't help put that battery pack onto Mariah's back and resur- and help resurrect her career. Now, Jermaine Dupri has a lot to do with it, and we'll talk more about that later. What Mariah also found out that day, because it was the first time she ever met Miss Price, was that Miss Price was her mother's teacher was her mother's opera singing teacher many, many, many moons ago when when Mariah was a little girl. And Mariah says in the book, like I say all the time, life comes full circle. And at that point, she had a full circle moment. Uh, Kudos to Miss Price. Um, Elder black woman showing love and admiration for a younger black woman because at the at that point in time she was about 76 and mariah who's a year younger than me would have been 36 so even though they were 40 years apart she was 40 years or elder greatness recognizes greatness real recognizes real legends recognize legends we're gonna go on to the next voice note oh before we go on to the next voice note Love Takes Time. Let me talk about this song for a little bit. Another song written by Mariah and produced by what would be the first of many collaborations, her best collaborator, Walter Afanasief. Now, Walter Afanasief and Mariah were great musical partners. They were like a miniature jam and Lewis. Uh, Gamble and Huff The magic they made together Beginning with this song And then for several albums afterwards I mean And she's always mentioned She owes a lot of her success Because Walter Would add to her lyrics A and B Would come up with incredible production Make sure that the music Matches her voice and so forth and would And would tell her When to hit this note when to hold back because Mariah with her voice can break glass with that soprano, with that phenomenal soprano voice of hers can break glass. Um, in the history of uh, music, the only other person I saw with a voice like Mariah that could outsing everybody and would have to hold back. And, and many times she showed off is Patti LaBelle. Patti, like Mariah, could outsing. Matter of fact, at that Legends Ball, if I'm not mistaken, everybody got a chance to sing a part of a song, and Patty blew everybody else away, even Mariah. <laughs> but I believe Mariah was holding back. But uh, Patty and Mariah, they they could outsing anybody. Um, I love what Aja said about Mariah having a mini Ripperton type voice. God bless the dead. Many died way too young of cancer. 
I could see it. I could see it. I could see Minnie Ripperton being a an influence in Mariah's singing style, just like I see, I hear Aretha Franklin in her voice, and I hear Tina Marie in her voice. All three I hear in um, Mariah's voice. Love Takes Time, song written by Mariah, probably chronicles the affair she was having with Tommy Mottola at the time. Now, I will start and mention how Tommy met Mariah. She writes about this in the book. Mariah was 18 years old, and she sent her demo to Columbia Records. It got to Tommy's. It got to Tommy's office. It got to his hands. Tommy played it. Tommy heard it, and Tommy was like, I got to find this girl. This is a star. I got to find her. He finds her in Long Island, Mariah being the greatest thing ever come out of the suburb of Long Island. And there's one thing when you're 38 years old and you're the head of a record company to try and persuade a teenager to uh, sign to your label, to record music. That's one thing. I believe Mary J. Blige was 19 years old when Andre Harrell, see Andre, Andre died recently. Andre might have been 15, 16, 17 years older than Mary. I'm not sure of the age uh, gap. But when Andre Harrell heard Mary's voice, as I mentioned on the Mary J. Blige podcast, you can go back and check it out. He went to where she lived in Yonkers, the project she lived in, in Yonkers, and he went to Mary's house. He talked with Mary's mother, and he got permission to give Mary a record deal. Nothing shady, nothing inappropriate. He didn't try and coerce her into a relationship. Tommy Matola heard the voice first. Then when he saw this very pretty 18-year-old girl, he lost his fucking perverted mind. And he began to use his clout as the most powerful man in the music industry to romance her. Now, fuck the media. Fuck the white biased media. Because they never called out Tommy Mottola for his uh, inappropriate actions. For his illegal actions, if you ask me. right? She was of age. But if you see pictures of an 18-year-old Mariah, she looks 13, 14. She has a very pretty baby face back then. Mariah and I are only a year apart. So I could look at her if I, and say, yeah, she was pretty well. And it, nothing would be inappropriate about it because I'm 54 and she's 53. Tommy Matola was 38 when he met an 18-year-old Mariah Carey. Tommy Matola was married with two kids. Tommy used his clout to influence Mariah to having a relationship with him. Anybody experienced enough knows that an older man can coerce a younger woman if he has pull, if he has money, and he has something to offer that young girl. Mariah was a starving artist. She came from a very poor family. Her mother had to work multiple jobs to support her after her mother 
divorced her father when Mariah was only five years old. They were never rich, even though they lived in Long Island and they looked like this. Oh, mother and daughter, they look so. And they always dressed nice because our mother was an opera singer and she had gigs from time to time. And Mariah was a pretty little girl who always dressed nice. Tommy used his influence and little by little, he coerced her in. First into an affair. If an 18, 19, 20 year old woman is dealing with a man 20 years older than her who's married and he's the head of a record label, the most powerful man in the music industry, she could easily, easily be led. Wasn't her fault. Wasn't her fault. I blame it all on that motherfucking devil, Tommy Matola. He eventually would leave his wife and kids to marry Mariah. More on that later. But what he did at the very beginning, using the old casting couch to be able to lay down with Mariah, you can hear in the song, Love Takes Time. She's singing about a love that's taking time. um, And then she talks about some hurt and that, Love takes time to heal the hurt. She's definitely writing about uh, Tommy's uh, wicked ass. Tommy's nasty ass. Man, I got more to say about this devil ass bastard when we come back after the break. Because this dude here got away with fucking murder. Right? Now, I'm not comparing the two because... What R. Kelly did to Aaliyah in conjunction with Aaliyah's uncle. Aaliyah's uncle, Barry Hankerson, should be sitting next to R. Kelly in a jail cell. But they rightfully so get criticized. I've never heard the media criticize Tommy Matola. When he divorced his wife to marry Mariah, the white racist media was calling Mariah Carrier Jezebel. Uh, uh, what you call it? She broke up that marriage. Right? She killed that household. Unbelievable. Unfucking believable. Yeah. She's 20 years younger than him. And according to a book, she was a virgin. She was no goddamn Jezebel. She was a young, innocent, naive woman trying to make it in the music industry and is being coerced. By the most powerful man in the music industry. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. All right. Let's see what who's the next one. I'm I'm so angry. Um, but we'll talk more about uh the devil, Tommy Matola, as we go through the podcast. The next voice note is from Ariel. And after Ariel speaks, we will hear. I don't want to cry. And afterwards, I'll comment on Ariel's uh, voice note. And I will rip I will rip some more ass of Tommy Matola. Hello, this is Ariel. Um, thank you, Robert and Logan, for allowing me to be a part of your show. And thank you for just doing the show in general. Um, you have a lot of fans out there, and we really do enjoy your podcast. Um, so, Mariah Carey. 
the first word that comes to mind when I think of Mariah Carey is icon. She is one of my favorite artists of all time and she's one of a select group of talented people in my opinion that can cross over between pop, hip-hop, and R&B but can actually sing and do extremely well in each category. Like this lady has a strong, powerful, and beautiful voice. Um, my favorite type of Mariah's music are her pop and R&B collabs with rappers and hip-hop artists. And the one that stands out to me the most is Honey with the Locks and Mace. I remember seeing the music video with her in a mini skirt and heels and I believe she was acting as a secret agent in the video which was different from the girl next door jeans and sweater Mariah Carey that I was used to. I had this single CD of Honey with different versions and remixes of the song and I played that CD until it skipped so badly like I ran that song in the ground. Um, a few other collaborations that I thoroughly enjoyed are Breakdown with Bone Thugs, Fantasy with ODB, Boy I Need You with Cameron, I Know What You Want with Busta, and You Make Me Wanna with Jada Kiss, though I think that one was on Jada's album, on the Kiss of Death album, um, and was his song. I'm not 100% sure, but I believe so, but regardless, I, I love Mariah, and Everything that I mentioned in this soundbite is only the tip of the iceberg on all the amazing music she's put out. Um, this lady deserves her flowers and then some. Keeps us hanging on and on and on. 
Thank you, Ariel, for always the kind words about my show and the beautiful words you talked about, Mariah. And the songs you mentioned, we will be talking about in part two. But a beautiful tribute to Mariah with your voice note. And I appreciate you always listening, Ariel. Listeners like you that motivate me to do these programs. In the song, I Don't Want to Cry. You hear Mariah crying, crying, um, and she's crying about this motherfucking nasty dude who was manipulating her. Okay, she said uh, in the song she goes, "Only emptiness inside us, baby. Look what we've become. We can make a million promises, but we still won't change. It isn't right to stay together when we only bring each other pain." Now, I'm not there. I don't have any inside information other than what I saw on TV, what my mother saw when they got married on television, and what Mariah wrote in the book. But it sounds like this motherfucker was playing games, all right? He had her career in his hands, right? 
She'd probably tell him, look, um, I'm not going to get involved with you anymore because you're married with kids. What if this comes out? How's that going to make me look? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, I'll keep it a secret. And this is what I believe I don't want to cry is about. It's about her looking to get out of a relationship that is a dead end. We, When we only bring each other pain. I must find a way of letting go Because baby I don't want to cry In the interview that Mariah had With Oprah Winfrey a couple of years ago Oprah asked Mariah Why did she stay in this relationship When first he was married with two children And then when he finally did leave his wife for her Things increasingly got worse Even after they wed And Mariah, without saying much, alluded to the fact that she felt she owed him. A, he was instrumental in her becoming a a star. And B, he did help her when it came to the problems she was having with her family. And she was having serious issues with with her family. Her and her father were not as close as they used to be. Their bond had separated. They had drifted apart. Her mother had become very, very jealous of Mariah's professional success. Mariah mentioned in the book that when she was a little girl, her mother told her, you can work as hard as you can. You can practice as much as possible. Try to sing every note. You'll never be half the singer I am. In the end, The former Mrs. Carey was not a pimple on Mariah's ass when it comes to musical talent. And I think that helped motivate Mariah to be the greatest of the greats with her singing voice. And then there was a situation with her older siblings. Uh, Mariah's the youngest of three kids from Alfred Roy and Mrs. Carey. I believe Patricia carries her name. His ex-wife, Mariah's mother. Mariah wrote in the book, uh, she described two incidents in which her brother beat up her father and her brother beat up her mother. Morgan Carey, Mariah's older brother, had severe anger issues, severe mental issues. Throughout the book, he sounded very bipolar. He beat up his her father, their father, one night, and the police had to come and take him to an institution. And then another time, he threw his mother up against the wall and almost killed their mother. And then he ran out the house and took their car. Then it was her sister who introduced Mariah to cocaine when Mariah was only 12 years old. And, of course, the, uh, the professional jealousy that her mother had against towards her and she drifted further further apart from her father in steps Tommy Matola this white knight both literally and figuratively steps in officer of the world and becomes a shield from her family her crazy family a family that is very toxic she needs to escape from well she escaped from one toxic situation to another 
And we'll talk more about that toxic situation um, later on in the podcast. I Don't Want to Cry is an amazing song that she wrote. And like I've said over and over again throughout all these podcasts I do on these tributes to these legendary artists is that the greatest songs that they make are the autobiographical songs. And you hear in this song that she is constantly crying. If if it's not her family that's making her cry, it's this evil bastard that has lured her into an illicit affair while he's 20 years older and manipulating her as he controls her career. Ladies and gentlemen, this was not a Jezebel. This was not a woman using her youthful uh, beauty to seduce a married man, a rich married man, a man that could have had any woman he wanted to. He decided to bed and seduce a woman 20 years younger than him. A woman young enough, old enough to be his daughter. And so he became the father figure. But a, but a father figure that was also sleeping with a woman he had no business sleeping with. It's just sickening. It, it sickens me when I think of what this bastard got away with. The devil himself, Tommy Matola. Before we play emotions, we're going to play a voice note. Um, from another long-time contributor, and um, she's just tremendous. Yeah. My buddy, my twin. What's up, Shannon? We, we will play Shannon, voice note, and then we will play Emotions, and then I have a lot more to say after we play Emotions. Hey, Rob. Hey, everybody. It's me again, Sugar Shan. So the first time Mariah told us about her vision of love, the world fell under the spell of a tiny black girl from my neck of the woods that white people assumed was white, but you know, we always know our own, so we knew what it was. In fact, I feel like once she really embraced her black side in her music a few years later, that's when she really started to shine to me. I'd say the Daydream album was probably her first album I actually listened to from beginning to end. On Breakdown, she starts out just talking and vibing about getting her heart broken with Crazy Bone and Lazy Bone whispering scary incantations to you in the background. And by the time she reaches the peak of the song, baby, her incredible range is definitely letting you know how horrible pain and rejection can be because now you're caught in the matrix and thinking about that time, your heart was smashed into a million pieces and you thought it would never be able to be put back together again like Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> that song is the first one that made me say, okay, Mariah, I see you. It's funny because I love almost all of her music, but it seems like the ones where she's just laid back writing the beat that tend to be my favorites. The only song I love more than Breakdown is Cry Baby with Snoop, who I don't really care for these days, but that's another story for another day. On that song, she's damn near rapping in the beginning, but she's still able to sing to your soul because when she opens her mouth, it always sounds like she's bearing hers. You can't help but be mesmerizing to imagine at a time when you were the one sitting up at 5 a.m. questioning the world. Whether she's using an ear-splitting whistle register or an almost non-existent whisper, she has such control over her voice that in my opinion, it is one of those that can truly be considered an actual instrument. She can be lamenting about a lost loved one with Drew Hill or even giggling about going back to the crib days with ODB. 
She'll elevate any lyric, a lot of which she writes herself, and she takes whoever's with her on that journey. Her voice has the ability to put you in the exact space and time you're singing along with her about. And by the end of the song, you're surprised at how much it moved you because she can be singing about how wonderful love is from the top of her lungs or moaning about how terrible it can be from the bottom of her register. She does it all with an all-encompassing powerhouse voice that really can be touched. Go ahead, Mariah. Peace out, everybody.
Thank you, Shannon, for pointing out that Mariah's voice is an instrument unto itself. An instrument unto itself. As you heard in emotions. When she's going at the end, and I'm not even going to attempt, but when she's hitting those high-pitched no- notes, unreal, unreal. And what an instrument her voice is. When I first heard Mariah back in 1990, I gave her the nickname for myself, Songbird. And ironically, that became her nickname one of several nicknames, MC, Mimi, The Voice, but Sung- Songbird was one of her nicknames. And I'm like, God damn, was somebody in my bedroom while I was saying to myself, yeah, that's Songbird. And I've called Mariah the, the Songbird ever since. She sounds like a beautiful bird when she sings. Oh, my God. And those who know me, those who personally know me know that I am not fond of high yellow black women that are frail, that are skinny, with a uh, with, with with a little ass. You know, Mariah back in the nineties was very skinny. She was very very thin. She filled out as she got older. Today. She's got more body today than she's ever had. She looks beautiful today. Back in the 90s, I was taken by her voice. I was smitten with her voice, but I wasn't physically attracted to her. My father, oh, my God, every time she came on on TV, if I was watching, he was around. Oh, she's so sexy. And I'd, I'd have to. I'd have to uh, correct my father and say, look, you're 21 years older than uh, her pop. She's. My age, young enough to be your daughter. What are you looking at? I'd be teasing with him. She, I was like, you know, go ahead, Pop. Do your thing with your uh with with, with the with the Puerto Rican woman. You wish she was Puerto Rican. <laughs> He's like uh my father and Tommy Matola about the same age. My mother and Tommy Matola about the same age. But I'm not going to get into a Tommy Matola rant right now. I want to talk about the magic of emotions, this great song that she co-wrote. With CNC Music Factory. CNC Music Factory came off with one of the biggest hits of 90 and 91. Uh, Make You Sweat. I believe that was on the Everybody Dance Now. Bob, you know, you, you, everybody remembers that song. It was a massive hit. Uh, what was that up? Uh, what was that uh, rapper's name? Free Williams? I forgot that, that dude's name because he was here today, going today. But make um, that was a massive hit. And Mariah loved that song so much that for the Emotions album, she asked if they could be contributors. And this was the first single off that album. Her fifth number one song in less than two years. The first artist to do so. Mariah was on her way. And in Emotions, not only... As Shannon mentioned, do you hear her voice as an instrument? You hear the Aretha Franklin influence in her voice. She sounds similar to Aretha in Who's Whom and Who. And that song that she did with uh, George Michael. I knew you would be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That You hear that Aretha 
in Mariah in this song. The Queen of Soul was a huge influence in Mariah's life. You know who else was a huge influence in Mariah's life? When Mariah was a little girl, she read a book that her father gave her about about a blind black boy that could, I believe, it was about a blind black boy, a, a young blind black child, young boy. And she was drawn to that book because that young black child reminded her of another one of her idols, Stevie Wonder. And she was thinking to herself, if Stevie could write great music and he can't see, what's stopping me? People, when um, celebrities, artists, athletes, they don't sometimes realize the heavy influence they have over young people. And their actions speak a lot. And it's a testament to Mariah's in, intuition that she idolized great human beings in Aretha Franklin, Stevie Wonder, Tina Marie. And Mariah, like Aretha Franklin, like Mary J. Blige, like a Phyllis Hyman, like a Gladys Knight, had to overcome immense trauma, immense obstacles to get to where she eventually got to as one of the all-time greats. It is criminal how the greatest female artist of all time, the, the vast majority of them, had to go through obstacles, had to go through pain, had to go through trauma in order to succeed in a male-dominated arena, in a male-dominated world. Mariah has sold as many records as anybody who's ever lived, right? But yet, she was scrutinized for being the victim of a man who left his wife and kids for her, of what the the mental breakdown she had later on in her career the, the 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 movie glitter that flopped she was constantly criticized constantly criticized and in my opinion it's racially motivated once the white media found out that Mariah Carey was not white but in fact a biracial young woman a product of a marriage between a black man and a white woman the girl next door narrative changed and you see it little by little the jabs by the white dominated media got heavier and heavier it started out covertly and it became overtly she had to deal with that she talks about it in the book and contrary to what we were told when she first came out that she did not embrace her blackness, that she identified as a white woman. You read her autobiography. She knew from a little girl that she was black. Let me share one story that she read, that, that I read in the book that she wrote. 
she was I think she was six or seven years old. She 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 was either the first or second grade. That's what she said in the book. And she befriended this girl who looked like strawberry shortcake to her. Uh, the girl had strawberry hair and she was cute in Mariah's eyes. And the girl's name was Becky. Oh, what a name, right? Talk about prototypical name for a girl with strawberry blonde hair. And her and Becky became real tight. One day, she told Becky to go with her to her father's house. It was the Sunday that she always visited her father. So Mariah's mother, Patricia, drives them to her ex-husband, Mariah's father, Alfred Roy's house. Mariah grabs Becky's hand. and Let's go and meet my daddy. She rings the bell. Alfred Roy comes out and he greets Mariah like he always does, his baby girl. Hi, Mariah. And Mariah's smiling. Hi, daddy. And then Becky lets go of Mariah's hand and starts crying after she sees this tall black man is Mariah's father. She starts crying uncontrollably. Becky. Like she had seen a monster. And Mariah and Alfred Roy, Mariah's father, are in shock. They don't say anything. Patricia Carey is in the car, sees what happens, sees what's happening, gets out the car, grabs Becky, puts her in the back seat, and speeds off. Mariah says in a book that her and her father looked at each other with hurt in both their eyes. And then they went inside the house and they never talked about what just occurred, what had just occurred. Part of the trauma that Mariah had to deal with being a biracial young girl in Long Island, New York. And I believe at that point in time, she was living in Northport, predominantly white community. The hell that her father had to go through I'll talk more about that later on. Um, This is a celebration of Mariah's career, but I'm bringing up points in the book to prove how strong her intestinal fortitude is. All these events in her life that she had to overcome in order to become one of the greatest of the greats. I so admire this woman. Um, It's just amazing that she looks the way she looks it's a testament to the strength of black women and i'll talk more about that later on one of my all-time favorite songs we'll be playing next after we hear from one of my all-time favorite friends that i've met on twitter over the years my buddy shay jones from chicago is going to talk about can't let go and then we will play can't let go Hey, Rob, it's your girl, Shay, uh, checking in for your Mariah pod. Can't wait to hear this one. But, um, yeah, Mariah, you know, she has that soulful and sultry and airy, you know, just lovely voice. And everything she sings, it just, you know, I feel it in my heart. And Can't Let Go is one of those songs. Um, early 90s, I was 
you know, a young girl. I had no business saying something like that. But uh, <laughs> as I got older, you know, I began to appreciate just the passion in her songs. And um, Can't Let Go was one that I, you know, feel deep down inside. Um just like a few other of hers, but you could just tell she had that longing for her partner and that love that, uh, you know, we we don't see too much of R&B nowadays, like how she was soulfully calling and saying that she can't let go. And you know how a lot of people used to beg back in the day in R&B and just sing their heart out. I love it. I love her soul and her voice, the, um, you know, the harmony, those falsettos, that whispery voice that she does. It's just everything. So Can't Let Go is one of those classics of hers. And it's just a beautiful song, conveys the emotion that was on her heart for her lover. And I love it. So can't wait to hear it on the pod and can't wait to hear you go over her um, illustrious and beautiful career. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye.
my sister Shay hit it right on the head with she hit the proverbial nail on the head with can't let go um hawking it back to the days when this song came out in the 90s where uh you had a lot of begging going on in R&B but you know but Joe to see he keeps sweat baby face the whole nine and this was uh Mariah's contribution to that type of guttural begging for that love um soul song and by the way this point in time emotions and mariah carey her first two albums they were pop albums because tommy matola had marketed mariah carey as the girl next door as a white quote-unquote white bread next door neighbor girl the girl that you everybody wants to date the next door uh, the, the, the the girl next door like Ariel mentioned in her voice note they had Mariah in jeans and a t-shirt with the long hair and you know not a lot of makeup you know looking uh, naturally pretty and very wholesome that's how they were marketing Mariah and in a way she was wholesome because if she had lost her virginity by the time the album came out it was to the devil bastard, the white devil bastard, Tommy Matola. So she was as wholesome as you can get for singers of that of that time, of that time frame, of that era. And so Tommy marketed her as quote unquote white bread girl next door pop star. But you could do all the pop music you can. That's soul. It's going to come out and it can't let go. Up until this point, this was her most soulful song. She bodied this song. She definitely was singing about uh, that devil bastard, Tommy Matola, in this song. But instead of. Instead of continuing, continually blast Tommy for a song that Mariah wrote about his devil ass. I'll just talk about what this song meant to me when I heard it. Can't Let Go came out 1991. And uh, there was a couple. There was three women in my life that I was emotionally and physically involved. Well, one I wasn't physically involved with anymore. But she was the most emotional that I was involved with. Um, My son's mother. This was. Before she got pregnant, she didn't get pregnant until the fall of '91. Um, so earlier in the in the year, I, we had broken up, and I was dating this young lady in my building that I lived in the South Bronx, Millbrook, Millbrook Projects. You know, this woman was a year younger than me, same age as Mariah, a Yolanda. And Yolanda and I, we bonded real quick. We had, there was a lot of passion there. But Yolanda reminded me of my first love, Tracy, that lived in New Orleans, that I met while I was going to school in New Orleans back between 1986 and 1989. Yolanda reminded me so much of Tracy, because Tracy, like Mariah Carey, was high yellow, was very fair-skinned. Yolanda was very fair-skinned, and they had similar build, similar height, similar smile. And one time, and I mentioned this before on a previous podcast 
Um, I was, uh, Yolanda and I were making love and I called Yolanda Tracy by accident. And Yolanda broke up with me and we never got back after that. And um, afterwards, I got back with my son's mother and she got pregnant. My son's mother, Missy, shortly got pregnant after her and I got back together. So even though I was a father to be in the fall of 91, can't let go. I played over and over again because I was thinking of both Yolanda and Tracy. I was longing for both those women, despite the fact being with a woman. I've said this over and over again. It was a huge mistake I made, but at least I got my son out of it. Uh, my relationship with Missy was pure lust. Um, there was no love on my part. Uh, she has claimed to have been in love with me. I'll take her word for it, but I was never. I was looking at her body, her figure, and how good the sex was. It was very fiery. What's the old term? Her and I, we, we were either fighting or fucking. There was never in be never any in between. Uh, can't let go, hit home. That song hit home because I had just broken up with Yolanda. Well, she broke up with me, and I was still longing for Tracy because I called Yolanda Tracy. So that was the first song that Mariah wrote and sang that I felt in my soul. Yeah, and Can't Let Go. One of my all-time favorite Mariah songs because like her, like because she wrote it, it was autobiographical for her. It was the story of my life back in 1991 and 1992. Now we will go on to the next song. Let's see what the next song is and who the next voice note is. The next song is... A similar song to Can't Let Go, another song written by Mariah, and it's called And You Don't Remember. This song hit home so hard for me. I think I've played this song more than Can't Let Go. Can't Let Go and, and You Don't Remember, both off the Emotions album. Can't Let Go was a number one hit, and You Don't Remember was never released as a single. It's one of the, in my opinion, one of the greatest songs never released. An album cut. And I played this song over and over and over again. Missy, my son's mother, will be like, what, 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 why, why you keep playing that song? We're together. What don't I remember? You don't remember the baby that um, I really never loved you. I hate to say that. All right, the voice note we will be playing before we play. Uh, can't let go. I mean, and you don't remember. My bad. And you don't remember. Who is the next voice note? Yes, we will be playing my buddy from Detroit, Crystal. And then we will play and you don't remember. Hey Rob, this is Glam. Just wanted to check in and say hello to you and your partner um, and give my thoughts on Mariah Carey, who we all affectionately call Mimi. Um, I love Mariah Carey. I'm a huge, huge Mariah Carey fan. 
I literally sing all of the songs <laughs> to the top of my lungs in the car, around the house. I randomly just played Emancipation of Mimi a couple weeks ago while I was working. And literally from song one to the last song, no skips, like a perfect album. Um, she's so talented, the range, um, her style. One of my favorite Mariah Carey moments was when uh, she did a Cribs episode on MTV. And, you know, just being such a diva, um, so talented, so stylish. I mean, she's the GOAT. And her range of singing, not everybody can do that uh, thing that she does. I'm not going to try to do it right now. <laughs> but yeah, love Mariah Carey. Love that she's resonating with the younger generation or like these new girls that are coming up. You know, it's dope that she's embracing them and acknowledging, you know, that they acknowledge her. I think it's really important to bridge the gap and pass the torch on to these younger girls coming up, i.e. Lotto. I think her lotto sampling the Mariah Carey song was really big, not only to pay respects to a legend, but also to let these younger girls know where these things come from. So anywho, love that you're doing this pod to give her her flowers. And I think I'm going to go and play some Mariah Carey right now. Talk to you later. Thank you.
Shout out to my friend Crystal from Detroit. By the way, check out her Twitter page, the OB Glam. She does picnics for all you romantic types for a nice price. You can hook up a beautiful romantic picnic for you and your partner. Uh, all the information is on her Twitter page. Check it out. And she has tons of pictures of floral arrangements and picnic arrangements she's done. Very talented young lady. And she's right about Mariah embracing today's artists. Uh, like Lotto recently had a huge hit on the Billboard Norm B charts sampling Mariah. And Mariah performed with Lotto at the most recent BET Awards. And Mariah looked phenomenal. Phenomenal. If Mariah looked Back in 1991-92, the way she looks in 2022, I'd have been looking at her like I looked at Mary J. Blige back then with a hunger in my eyes. Because <laughs> Mariah is beautiful. You, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't had a chance, if you have Apple TV, check out the Oprah conversation she had with Mariah Carey promoting the book that I've been talking about referencing throughout the podcast the the meaning of Mariah Carey Mariah when she had this interview with Oprah was 51 years old she looks like a 30 year old stunning beauty i mean she had, she had, she aged like my lady has aged like a unicorn, like uh, time has stood still. Mariah Carey, like my my lady, looks to be afflicted with the Benjamin Button disease. I mean, Mariah looks great. She looks phenomenal. Looks phenomenal at, at her age. And, and speaking of my lady, her younger sister, Jamie, is the spitting image of Mariah Carey. And I see some... I see some similarities between Mariah and my lady when it comes to their fat cheeks, when their cheeks get full, when they smile and their cheeks get fat. That that's something that the women in Vonette's family shares with uh, Mariah. Um, the crystal is on the money. And as far as, and you don't remember, as I continue ripping Tommy Matola, new asshole, and of course this song, because Mariah wrote the song, is definitely about this clown. This is the perfect example of what she was going through at the time. She writes and sings, and, and you don't remember. Helplessly, I fell so deep. I was so naive to let you in. Why did I let you in to my heart? Yes, she was naive. She was naive to think that a man 20 years older than her had her best interests at heart. No, he had his best interest at, at heart. He saw this young, beautiful girl who had the talent of an angel, sang like a bird, could outsing anybody in the music industry. He saw money and he saw a piece of ass that he could manipulate, right? This freaky, evil, nasty bastard, right? And so she's writing the songs about his manipulation. Now, at the time, she's not. She's not thinking that. She's thinking that she's in love and he's her savior, her white savior. More on that later. The fact of the matter was she convinced herself 
that she was in love with him. Later on, she would come to the realization that she wasn't in love with him, but she was in love with what he could provide. That is protection from the outside world. He was the most powerful man in the music industry. Protection from her family, her dysfunctional family. And a safety net for her career. But she never loved the man. She loved what he could provide for her. But she never loved him. And things would spiral out of control. More on that later. And you don't remember. Powerful song. Powerful song. And you don't remember how you used to hold me. How we'd melt together. Hey, hey, how you needed me. How we used... I mean... And the way she controls her voice throughout this song. Now, during this time period, there were people in the media and in the music industry who were questioning Mariah's vocal range. How could a woman that young sound so perfect in the studio? Was there some audio manipulation occurring? My buddy from Jersey, JR, JR World of Soul on Twitter, part of the R&B representatives. He's about to break down why the music industry questioned Mariah's vocal prowess, what was going on in the music industry at the time, and he then he will talk about how amazing she was when she did the MTV Unplugged special. How amazing her cover of the Jackson 5's I'll Be There was. I will play I'll Be There and then I will discuss JR's views and the song after we play his voice note and I'll Be There. What's going on, y'all? This is JR from the R&B Representatives. And what can I say about Mariah Carey? Uh, she's the songbird, you know, they gave her that name and she indeed deserves that name because she is the songbird. Mariah is a one when it comes to vocals and background and vocal arranging. And I became a fan of Mariah during the emotions era because actually the emotions album is my favorite album from Mariah because it showed Mariah's real influence. Like we know that Mariah loves soul. She loves gospel. She loves R&B. She loves dance. And all of that influence is in the Emotions album. But it seems like everybody goes from the debut and they completely bypass the Emotions album and go to Music Box because those were the big sellers. You know what I'm saying? But... People don't sense to realize, yes, you also love the MTV Unplugged. And if it wasn't for the Emotions album, we wouldn't have got the MTV Unplugged. You know what I'm saying? And then Mariah kind of needed that because this was the time where we were getting a lot of, you know, lip singing. We had, you know, the Millie Vanilli. We had the Dreamland. We had CNC Music Factory where Martha Wash was doing a lot of vocals. So a lot of people was getting caught up out there. So Mariah had to go on that MTV Unplugged and prove that she can do what she do in the studio. She can do it live. And she literally bodied that 
MTV Unplugged. And that's why it's such a classic to this day. It sold 4 million records. And Mariah was like, I'm here, y'all, and I ain't going nowhere. I think that's what that album did for her. So people can stop saying she was just a studio singer. You know what I mean? And for her to pick a classic like I'll Be There, you know, because I think everybody, when you listen to I'll Be There, it takes you back to when you were a kid, when you heard the young Michael Jackson just singing on that like he was a grown man. You know what I'm saying? Like it was just. It's kind of like we hold a special place in our heart for that song and for her to cover that. And she thought about it the night before and to get on that stage and Mariahify it, if that's a word, she Mariahified that song. And to have Trey Lorenz, who's one of her go to background singers and for them to make this a duet and for them to body the song the way they did. It was just an amazing, amazing cover. One of my favorite covers, you know what I mean? Because I'm very critical on covers and I feel like you got to do it your way and don't try to mimic what the original version is, but give us something familiar, but still make it yours. And Trey Lorenz and Mariah made this song theirs. And I think it's such a great cover and it's a beautiful record. And if you don't like this song and if you don't like this duet, you obviously don't know what singing is and don't know what a good duet is. So I love this record. Um, and uh, this is a great song. So here's I'll Be There, y'all.
I am so honored to have uh, Jr. Uh, great man from Jersey, one of the leading music historians, soul music historians on the internet, on social media, bless me with that accurate retelling of Mariah's performance on MTV Unplugged and the pressure she was under because of the times we were living when it came to musicians pretending to be something they weren't and the media and the and so-called music industry experts were questioning whether or not it was Mariah that was behind that perfect voice. And he was right. You had Millie Vanilli. Martha Walsh was singing. I believe Martha sang a couple of songs in which she was. The, the, the song I was talking about, uh, CNC Music Factory. Everybody dance now. Doom. That's Martha Walsh. Right? But in the music video, they had uh, some models pretending to be singing her voice when it was her voice. Martha Walsh. You remember her from the Weather Girls. It's raining men. So, like uh, JR said the night before, Trey Lorenz and Mariah Carey, and a shout out to Trey Lorenz. Mariah is very loyal. She has made sure that even though Trey's solo career did not go as expected because the brother is a very talented singer. She has kept him steadily employed whenever she's going on tour, whenever she's done specials. And this song right here, I'll Be There, and the entire MTV Unplugged concert that night when it aired in April of 1992 on MTV, I was at my South African buddy's uh, house up in the Gun Hill section of the Bronx. My friend from back then, we went to college together at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. Pumsala. We we call we affectionately called him Puma. Shout out to my brother Mech out there who listens to all my shows. He's from South Africa. Mech, this dude, Pumsala, aka Puma, was as classy a brother as you are. You know, you remind me of my brother Pumsla. Pumsla was a tremendous tennis player for John Jay College, and he could sing his ass off. He could sing baritone and tenor. And I was at his house that night because I didn't have cable, but he had cable. And he let me record MTV Unplugged. And we sat there and we were amazed at how great Mariah sounded live. She was the real deal because JR was right. There are have been a lot of singers throughout the years that sound great in the studio, sound like shit live. Today, a perfect example is Jeremiah. Mariah sounded just like she did on tape when she did MTV Unplugged. And I'll be there. Her and Trey Lorenz captured that Michael and Jermaine Jackson magic. Now, Mariah put her own twist, like JR said, when you do a cover, you got to put your own twist on, tw twist on the song. You can't try and sound like the original. But goddamn, Trey had that Jermaine Jackson in him. He had that Jermaine Jackson vibe. And they bodied that duet. 
Oh, my God. And by the way, when Michael Jackson died, suddenly at the age of 50 in 2009, it was Trey Lorenz and Mariah Carey that recreated that magic 17 years after they first recorded I'll Be There on the MTV Unplugged special. The two of them tore up the stage, tore up the, 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 the church with their rendition once again of I'll Be There at Michael Jackson's funeral memorial. They killed it. And a fitting tribute to one of the greatest men that ever walked the earth. And another man, another artist that that devil bastard Tommy Matola tried to destroy. More on that when I talk about Michael Jackson in either part four or five. Because right now we've done two parts of Michael Jackson's career on the Legends of Music and Sports when we get to the point where uh, Tommy Matola is trying to destroy Michael Jackson, I will talk in detail how he attempted to destroy Michael Jackson, all in trying to get Michael's coveted Beatles catalog, but more on that later on. Mariah always paid homage to the great black singers of the past watch the vh1 divas live special that happened in the late 90s where she would sing with the legends of the past look at the legends ball 2005 that oprah winfrey uh hosted where she had young to the elder to to, to the elderly of black female legends it was black females only, right? You want to criticize Oprah. Oprah had the black legends. There was the only person that could have passed for white was possibly Mariah Carey. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, before I go on to the next song, thank you, JR, for your contribution and for adding um, that Mariah just had practiced the song the day before. And, and Mariah talks about uh, that song in the book, and she talks about what J.R. mentioned, that this was the song that proved to the world and the concert, the MTV Unplugged special, but especially that song, it proved to the world that she, in fact, was a vocal genius, had the perfect voice, the songbird. J.R., the media called the songbird, but the first time I heard her, I said to myself, she sounds like a songbird. I don't know, something was in the in the atmosphere, the universe co uh, collided, but I came up with that term first. I just, I'm a 22-year-old black Puerto Rican kid going to school and, work, and working full-time and going to school full-time. I'm not talking to anybody. It was a coincidence, but, man, I love it. I love it. The songbird, you call it a songbird. People call it a songbird. She's forever my songbird. Mariah Carey, uh, man, and you know it's crazy. I told my, I told this to my lady two days ago, and she's shocked. I've been to over, I don't know, I've lost count. I've been to anywhere between two to two hundred and fifty concerts in my lifetime. Not one time have I seen Mariah Carey live. 
And I told my lady, the reason I have never gone is because her tickets are always so fucking expensive. But the greats of the greats are going to have those expensive tickets. I almost went to see her one time, but I couldn't. Back in, I'm trying to remember, when in 2000, I think, it, I believe it was August of 2017. Mariah and Lionel Richie went on tour together and they were playing Madison Square Garden in the big arena. But I had tickets to the Hulu Theater, the small arena, to see my all-time favorite female, Mary J. Blige. So it was impossible for me to see Mariah because they were playing the same night. The traffic in Manhattan that night was ridiculous because you had three legends performing in Madison Square Garden that night. Two in the big arena, Lionel Richie and Mariah Carey, and, of course, the incomparable Mary J. Blige in the small arena. So we're talking 23, 24,000 tickets sold that night at premium prices. Jim Dolan made a ton of money that night. That that no good fucking crook. Anyway, that was I believe that was the last time Mariah toured. Um maybe I'll bite the bullet if she does another Christmas concert this year. Maybe I'll go. I got to see her, man. I got to see her. She still sounds great. She looks better than ever. So I'm sure she'll give a hell of a hell of a performance. Okay, so before we go on to the next song, and the next song is Without You. And now we're going to my favorite album Mariah ever produced and recorded and released, Music Box. But before we play without you, I'm going to play a voice note from my fellow New York buddy, Lala. Lala will talk and lead us in to without you. This is Lala. I'm truly appreciative for this opportunity to express my love and admiration for Mariah Carey. I feel like... I gotta say the voice Mariah Carey, like I feel like that's the proper introduction. Like there's no other way to describe her for me. She's a singer that has stood the test of time. People say she lost it, but I'll argue anyone at any time, day or night, for any given reason, and let them know that she doesn't have to prove anything to anyone. And I have done this by the way. She's actually the reason a lot of people have a wider vocabulary. She's also the reason why I began to study the dictionary when I was in elementary school. I knew I couldn't sing like Mariah Carey, but as a little girl who loved writing poetry and was aspiring to be a songwriter, I knew I was going to at least be able to write like her. What's not to love about her? She writes, produces, and can really blow. As far as my generation goes, I haven't heard another singer that can do what Mariah Carey can do. And while a lot of people say Ariana or Ariana Grande, however you say her name, comes a close second, that's not up for debate for me. I'ma just leave it at nobody can sing like Mariah Carey and that's that. This might be an unpopular opinion, but I loved her role in Glitter. 
It was a lot of slack talk, but I think she had fun. I think she was confident enough to do the role, and I enjoyed her nonetheless. Two of my favorite albums by Mariah Carey are Emancipation of Mimi, one and two, which I think the second one, they titled it E equals MC squared. I remember two, um, not 2000, Christmas 1999. That was a very special Christmas for me because <laughs> that's the year that really started my own CD collection. My stepfather had been so tired, not really of me dibbling and dabbling in his music collection, but it was Mariah Carey's Daydream album that I would constantly take and not return because I love the song Always Be My Baby. And to this day, that's still my favorite song by Mariah Carey. Um, but... Again, that, that was a very special Christmas for me because my stepfather bought me a five-disc CD changer stereo that also had two cassette players attached. And he bought me the Daydream album so I can return his. <laughs> he bought me her Rainbow album. And I remember that was the album because the Heartbreaker with Jay-Z song was on that. And that came out around then. And um, Mary J. Blige, Mary album, and a whole lot of CDs. I mean, he, he bought me like 20 CDs, honestly, that year. And that was along with my stereo. And that's when I started my own collection. So she's the reason, you know. She's probably the reason why I really love music because after that like every week when I passed my spelling test it was like okay can we go to the store I think it was was it FYE back then it, it might have been I think that's called for your entertainment there was some other little store that was in central Jersey it wasn't a popular store like if you didn't live in Jersey you wouldn't know it I can't remember the name but every Friday when I would bring my spelling test to him and he seen I passed it he would take me to the store and, and let me pick out some more music and a lot of times I picked out artists that I didn't even know who they are who they were so you know I just I appreciate Mariah Carey's contribution to the industry and there will never be another Mariah Carey. So thank you for this opportunity to be able to shed a little light. It's only fair that 
correct ariana grande 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 vu whatever the fuck her name is she is not a pimple on mariah's ass when it comes to vocal prowess for years the white dominated media has tried to claim that demi lovato and ariana grande were the next mariah carries that they were vocally gifted like mariah carry man get the fuck out of here not even adele is as vocally gifted as mariah carry so don't give me that nonsense lala i like how you mentioned that uh mariah's songwriting and the lyrics help build your vocabulary that's what a great artist should do. I mean, a lot of people have said the same thing about Nas and Tupac and Rakim. The words that they would use in their rhymes, if it sounded foreign to young people back in their day, they would go to a thesaurus or a dictionary, look the word up. And you did that with Mariah. Another thing that you and I have in common is the first CD you ever got was when you're stepfather bought you day uh the daydreaming album and other uh cds like 20 cds all at once i believe it was the second cd i ever bought i was i'm old school 
I'm and I was old school back in the early nineties. CDs have become the thing, but I was still biting, buying the audio cassettes. And so the first two, the first three albums of Mariah, Mariah Carey, Emotions, and MTV Unplugged, I bought them all on audio cassette. Right? I didn't have a CD player. Then I bought a five CD disc changer, just like your stepfather got you. In the late 90s, I got it in the early 90s, hooked it up to the to the to the RCA stereo amp I had. And the first three CDs I bought for that five CD changer were Jade to the Max by Jade. Remember they had the huge hit, Don't Walk Away, Boy. SWV, it's about time. With um, right here, and um, you're always on your mind. Great album, one of the greatest albums of the '90s, if not of all time. And Music Box, my all-time favorite Mariah Carey album. Those were the first three CDs I bought, and I played Music Box over and over and over again. And Without You is one of several songs that I loved on that album. I can't say which of these are my favorite, but they all hit home. Without You and the song that we'll play next are both both personal songs that hit home. Because this was during a time album came out in 93 and in um 1994 and i mentioned this on i believe the mary j blige podcast and the luther vandros podcast recently um my first love tracy got engaged and was getting married in the summer of 94 so her and i got to an argument after she called me asked me if i was gonna go to the wedding why have i been avoiding her and I made a disparaging remark. I'm not going to repeat it here. You guys can go back to the previous shows. A lot of you have listened to that show in which I made the derogatory remarks, so you know what I'm talking about. And so I figured it was all but a done deal as far as her and I, even being friends, never mind a relationship, she's about to get married. She got married in August of 94. A week before she got married, she sent me an audio cassette tape and she didn't record she didn't record these songs from a cd player or a tape to tape she recorded these songs straight off the radio and without you was one of the songs and um what was the other song it's the it's the next song that we're about to play but there was a bunch of sad songs on there um, all I've ever wanted, which will be the next song, is another song that she on the tape. So, without you, all I ever wanted by Mariah Carey, "I Miss You" by Aaron Hall, uh, "Where Will You Go" by Babyface. All those songs were one tape that she recorded off the radio. She wrote a little note: "This is me thinking of you," 
and I sat there and I damn near cried listening to that because I'm like, damn, this woman is marrying another man, but she loves me almost as much as I love her. But as I mentioned before, it wasn't going to work. I was living with my son's mother at the time. He had just turned two. She was living in New Orleans, about to get married, and she got married the following week. I thought about pulling a Dwayne Wayne when Whitley and um, Byron were about to get married, and he but no, no, that 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 that's television. This is reality. If I would have done that, they probably would have shot me on sight. <laughs> but yeah, um. Man, Mariah brings back so so many memories. Because her music of the 90s, like Mary J. Blige's music, like Jodeci's music, like Tupac's music, like Nas's music, was and is the soundtrack of my life back in my 20s. From my early 20s to my early 30s, the entire decade. I was 21 when the 90s began. And I was 32 when the decade ended, no, 31, when the decade ended. So the 10 probably most important years in forming your life, she was a heavy part of it. She was part of that soundtrack of my life through the ups and downs, through the through the good times and the bad times. Her music spoke to what I was going through. Just... um testament to the greatness of a songwriting where her music connects to people all over the world and it connected to me i'm not even a woman women connect are supposed to connect more with mariah but i connected because of the heart-wrenching lyrics she wrote in the music and then i connected with the horror she was going through and I could relate to that. I could relate to the trauma she was going through. And I wish there was a way where she had a father like mine. And I'll talk more about that after the next song. The next voice note I will be playing before All I've Ever Wanted. (laughs) Once again, one of my all-time favorite songs from my all-time favorite Mariah Carey album. But before we we play that, uh, my buddy from Africa, M. Dube, will uh, talk about the greatness of Mariah Carey. We will go into we will go into uh, all I've ever wanted, and I will discuss more about Mariah and the problems with her marriage and why, if she had a father like mine. He would have nipped that motherfucking problem in the bud. Hey, yo, OG Rob. First of all, I want to thank you for choosing me once again to share what I have to say about the legend Maria Carey. Maria Carey is a bonafide legend. As of today, she ain't got nothing left to prove because her body of work is just legendary. She's the first artist to have five songs top the Billboard Hot 100 
in four decades man listen like this is she's just great bro we all saw we all saw it we all know she was legit when she rose to fame with her eponymous debut album which had his first five singles which number one to the in the billboard hot 100 and an accomplished feat yet again to me maria holds a special place in my heart like with a so with my favorite song for my mind you is always be my baby that song poor that song is just feel with like it's just a lo- like it's a beautiful ballad to me like two beautiful ballads like one of the greatest song ever in my opinion <coughs> we know what makes music great is the memories the remind the reminders and and we and uh, those moments we attach to them and making uh, make them timeless and trust me maria carey has a lot of them god bless her may she continue being the queen she is and as i always say rob thank you for this podcast thank you i hope everything is well my brother
Thank you, M. Dube, once again for those wonderful words. And you brought up a song that a lot of the listeners have brought up in their voice notes throughout the podcast and a song that I will definitely play on Mariah Carey's part two that we will do in a few months. And that is Always Be My Baby. I I will be playing and talking about the version that had Escape and the Brat in it. I'm glad you brought up Always Be My Baby, and I'm glad Ariel and others brought up Always Be My Baby. Because that was during a time when Mariah Carey was on the lock and key. Now, Music Box the Album came out in August of 1993. Mariah Carey and Tommy Mottola finally tied the knot in June of 1993. Mottola was 44, Mariah was 24. Okay. He left his wife and kids. Finally, he coerced Mariah into marrying him. Now, he's in total control of her career. As she told Oprah, as she mentioned in the book, she thought if she married Tommy, Tommy would be less stringent on who could she see and where she can go? No. The minute she moved into his mansion in upstate New York, Bedford, New York, which is an exclusive rich, rich town, I know, because I used to, as a dispatcher for a courier company that oversaw Citibank and J.P. Morgan deliveries, a lot of those executives lived up there in Bedford. They lived in a mansion. Basically, it was their own town. It was a fortress. And he had hired security with guns watching her 24-7. She had to get permission to go buy French fries from a, a fast food restaurant near, near the mansion. During the filming of Always Be My Baby, her and the brat, went off to hang out and get some french fries and Tommy was calling all over the place even calling the police looking for her this is the mind of a sick man where you put your wife on the lock and key yes Tommy Matola is a motherfucking devil 72 73 years old 73 years old now Right. And talking about in his book that he that he came out with nine years ago. Oh, yeah. My relationship with her was inappropriate. Duh. Of course it was. You had no business getting involved with a woman. Young enough to be your daughter, a woman who was barely of legal age when you started to romance her, when you seduced her with your money and power and showering her with huge promotion and promoting her now the talent was there i will never if if it wasn't for tommy matola mariah said this mariah told oprah she had offers from other record companies she didn't have to go with tommy mariah carey had the type of talent that regardless of getting with tommy or not she was going to be a major star i remember you know i'm gonna bring up my man from Uganda, my brother on Twitter, Derek. Derek wrote 
a tweet a few weeks ago talking about uh, would Mariah Carey had been where she was had she not gotten with Tommy Mottola. And I, re- and I responded, well, you could say the same thing about Marvin Gaye. And I mentioned this on the Marvin Gaye Tribute Podcast that's on the same platform that you can listen to. Marvin Gaye was an artist on Motown that was going nowhere. He was trying to be like Frank Sinatra. He caught the eye of Barry Gordy's sister, Anna, who was 17 years older than Marvin. Marvin was 24 when he married Anna Gordy, was 41. Things come full circle, right? History repeats itself. Mariah Carey was 24 when she married Tommy Mottola. 20 years older than her. Marvin Gaye was 24 when he married Anna Gordy. He was 41, 17 years older than her. Two of the all-time greats. You can make an argument that Marvin's the greatest male vocalist of all time and Mariah is the greatest female vocalist of all time. Both 24 getting married to record executives that made sure that their career blossomed. But it was inappropriate. And it did not work out. Tommy held Mariah captive. Basically, she was his slave. It harkened back to the days of when the white slave master would get one of the fair-skinned black female slaves to be at his beck and call. So she'd be in the house, one of the house Negroes, and she would service him all the time, even having children by him, right? It was an unfortunate practice back in the days of slavery. Well, Tommy was overseeing a modern-day slave in Mariah Carey. All she could do was make music for him and sleep with him. She couldn't do anything else. She couldn't hang out with her friends. She couldn't go to the market. She couldn't go... Uh, to a restaurant with somebody else because security, Tommy security, would follow her and report back to her husband. Mariah has left the grounds. Uh, uh, all points bulletin. APB out on Mariah Carey. Oh, Mariah Carey. And kudos to Mariah. I could tell that it was a loveless marriage for one reason. She never called herself Mariah Carey Matola. She called herself Mariah Carey. And you would think a guy like Tommy Mottola, Italian Catholic, old school, would have tried, you know, to make her uh, Mariah Mottola. Man, get the fuck out of here, devil-ass bastard. The hell that she had to go through and she's overcome throughout her entire career. I'll go more into it later, but damn it, damn it, damn it. This man should have been arrested and tried for crimes that he committed against the very beautiful and gifted Mariah Carey. You don't don't treat your wife like that. Your wife is not a possession, right? This man was insecure, all right? A lot of older dudes are like this, all right? They marry a woman 20, 25 years younger than them. And they try to control their move because they feel 
and they fear that a man their wife's age would come sweep them off their feet because A, they're younger, and B, they're better looking, all right? Tommy Matola's not a good-looking man. His pocketbooks look good, right? Yes, his pockets, his bank account is beautiful. But just because your bank account is beautiful, just because you made this woman one of the biggest stars in history of music does not give you the right to treat her like a slave, to treat her like a possession, to put her under lock and key. This was modern-day slavery at its worst. And I will continue to rail against this motherfucker for the rest of my life. Even after he's died, right? I will talk about him because Russell Simmons did similar shit. And so he had to flee to Dubai. And right now he's in exile in Dubai because of crimes he committed against women. R. Kelly will be in prison for the rest of his life and deservedly so. You got Bill Cosby who got off on a technicality, right? Roman Polanski, right? Um, Tommy Matola is no better than Roman Polanski. If you want to, you want me to talk about Roman Polanski? No, go Google Roman Polanski and you'll see what he did and why he, Tommy Matola is that same motherfucker. All right. Enough of my uh, soapbox. What's the next voice note and song? Like I said, this is a celebration of Mariah, but I am celebrating how she overcame all these obstacles, all this trauma that occurred in her lifetime. It's sad. Sad. Very sad. All right. The next voice note is my uh, good friend from Chicago, LL School K. After we play his voice note, the next song, and I and if I if I'm correct, yes, the next song is a song that I hold near and dear to my heart, Hero. So LL and then Hero. Back on here again, shout out to Silver for not only hosting the show, but a great adventure down memory lane. Flowers go to you, my brother. Listening to Mariah Carey, I didn't even know who she was for a very long time. I used to think that was Tina Marie. You look at her, she looked like a white woman, but she is biracial. I seen her in the movie Precious and she looked totally different. But not to get on her acting. She's a great showman. She's got character. And she can hit a note like never before. I mean, she hit notes so high that birds fall out the sky. This woman is so spectacular that when you hear her sing, angels come to life. She has that soprano, Tamala man gospel voice. That is to live and die for. I wish we had more singers like her. She got so many hits. So many awards. She has done twice the work. And has done more than enough for a lifetime. Love this woman. She's definitely a Hall of Famer. 
She should be in the rock and roll by now. I mean, her work shows for itself. It speaks volume. What more can I say? Mariah Carey is very, very special. And she can hit a note like never before. I mean, she got a like gospel church Tamala man type voice. It's just wonderful. I like to listen to her. She's still a beautiful woman. I watched Precious and I did not realize that was her. She looked like a total different woman. But she can do it all. And she has really displayed great showmanship since she's been around. And as long as she's been in music and entertainment. Love the show. Glad to be back on here again. And hopefully I see y'all on the next one. Peace. Okay.
my brother LL School K from Chicago. I want to talk about one of your points. You said Mariah belongs in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Can you people believe that despite the fact that she has 19 number one hits, only the Beatles have more hits by 120. 20 number one hits. Billboard top 40. Mariah's got 19. She's been on top of the game for 32 years, and she's still not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's time to disband the Rock and Roll of Fame. It's an illegit- illegitimate organization. How do you have an organization claiming that they honor the greats of the greats and you don't have Raya Carey, Luther Vandross, Sade in the Rock and Roll of Fame? Explain that to me. And there's a whole lot of others that are not in. Nas, Rakim, Donnie Hathaway, Teddy Pendergrass. The list is long, long, and it's 99.9% legendary black acts that are not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Mariah Carey's one of them. How is that? One of the greatest singer-songwriters to ever live. One of the greatest voices, if not the greatest female voice in the history of mankind. And she's not in the Rock and Roll of Fame. Somebody needs to explain it. Is it Tommy Mottola? Is Tommy Mottola wielding his evil influence by not letting the woman who made him millions of dollars, by the way, because she divorced him? And made him look like a fool because he's a fucking evil devil. I want to know why. Now, on to the song Hero. The song Hero hits home for me. I started dating my lady that I'm with today back in March of 2014. Uh, We started dating right after her younger sister, who was 23, died tragically. And um, I was there for her, just like she was there for me a few months ago when my son died. Um, So I was there for her, um, whatever she needed. And we had just first started dating. We hadn't even gotten intimate yet, but I was on the phone with her texting her, whatever she needed to talk, I was there. It was a, our first date was March 30th, 2014. I've talked about it several times on the podcast. Took her to see the play after midnight Broadway play starring Babyface and Tony Braxton. Uh, uh, Shout out to uh, my friend on Twitter, uh, Alicia Ward. When When I posted that, picture of the ticket stub on the anniversary of our first date (laughs) Alicia went oh Silva you cheated on your first date that's an automatic second date taking her to see babyface Tony Braggs on your first date yes yes um I sent her parents a lovely bouquet of flowers and her mother to this day always reminds me of how grateful her and her husband were for that gesture on my part and I was there for Vonette, my lady. Then 
it was right after my 46th birthday. I get a phone. It was a Friday afternoon, going into evening, 5.30, 6 o'clock on a Friday. I was getting off work, and um, Vonette calls me. She had lost her ATM card slash debit card, and she was working at a, she was a registered nurse at the time, working at a Westchester hospital, trying to make it back to Canarsie, Brooklyn. So if anybody who knows the distance between a hospital in White Plains, New York, Westchester, going all the way to Brooklyn, and you're on E, you're in trouble. So I told her, look, I'm going to get off work, and I'm going to get on the subway and try to get to this gas station on 138th Street and Park Avenue near the 138th Street Bridge in the in the South Bronx that connects you to Harlem. When you get off on the other side, you're on 135th Street and Madison Avenue. Those who live in the South Bronx and, and Harlem know that bridge. New Yorkers know that bridge. I told them, you can get there, I'll meet up with you, and I'll give you gas money, and we'll pump up the gas. You know, I, I will fill up your, your your gas tank. I got on the train, and I beat her there. I was shocked because she was coming from White Plains. But then again, it was Friday, traffic, understandable. Because I was coming all the way from Tribeca to meet her in the Bronx. In, in, in the Bronx. My old neighborhood, matter of fact, not too far from where I grew up in the Millbrook Projects. So. She pulls up in the gas station like 10, 15 minutes after I get there. And she barely made it. She the, the the car damn near stopped when she got to the station. I filled up her tank. And while I'm filling up her tank, she's like, Robert, you're my hero. And I felt uh man, my the the back of my head, the hair is on the back of my head stood up. And she's in the driver's seat. So I come around to the driver's seat. She's in a car, and I tell her, "Come on, um, can you um look at me for a second? And when she looks at me outside her um driver's window, I start kissing her, and we start kissing. It's the first time we kiss, and it's to this day still the most beautiful kiss I've ever had in my life. And we kissed for about five minutes, and it was beautiful. It was passionate. And that was the moment when um, we realized that we were meant for each other. At that point in time, we've had obstacles since. We even broke up for almost two years. But right then and there, she called me a hero. We kissed for the first time. And talk about things coming full circle. Our first kiss was in the neighborhood I grew up in. Life is no shocker. Life is full of. Uh, circles coming full circles that's what it was a full circle moment so that's why hero would always hold a special place in my heart because from that point on except for the time we were separate separated she would always say oh my hero and sometimes just just to just to bolster my ego i'm like i'll be like all right baby who's your hero she go you are <laughs> Yeah, baby, I'm going to always try and be your hero to the day I die. All right.
So uh, now, before we play the next song, I've got two written testimonies that I want to read from two of my favorite ladies that listen to the show and that I interact with all the time on Twitter. First, I want to read my Benti, Professor Mabenti's uh, written testimonial. And Mabenti, the professor, writes, Mariah Carey, Mimi, MC. I love that woman's voice. There's nothing she can't do vocally. Power, range, dexterity. The first time I heard MC was probably Heartbreaker with Jigger. I was obsessed with it. I wasn't allowed to have CDs at the time, so I tape recorded the song from the video. That was the beginning. Naturally, I dug into the Rainbow album and never stopped. Breakdown is my joint, though. Love that harmonies with Bone Thugs and her runs. Her phrasing is immaculate as usual. MC has rare L's, has rare L's in her catalog. After all, the undisputed diva of the 90s and proud of it. By the way, Shame on the Rock and Roll of Fame for another reason. Mariah Carey was the biggest selling artist of the 1990s. She sold the most albums and had the most number one hits of the 1990s. Eminem did the same thing from 2000 to 2010. He's in the rock. He just got inducted. He just got voted into the Rock and Roll of Fame. He'll be inducted next year. Mariah Carey's been on top for 32 years and she can't get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But you let this culture vulture in? Now, Eminem belongs in. I ain't going to deny. But he doesn't belong in before Mariah Nas or Akim. Kiss my ass and get the fuck out of here. All right. Now, let me read uh, my buddy from UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she writes, her written testimony goes, the words to sum up Mariah Carey are, I'm every woman. The amount of struggle that she's seen in life, so many women can relate to. And the way she's come out on top of it, so many women can be inspired by. From her humble beginnings, not being able to stop her self-belief in reaching her true potential, to breaking from a toxic, controlling husband, which I've talked about this entire podcast. Her story is success after success, and the best part of it is how once she broke free, she never confined herself to labels or boxes again and does exactly what she wants, how she wants, with so much confidence in an industry in the world that likes to keep women as quiet as possible. Bringing us to, a, to, bringing us to her greatest power of all, her voice. There cannot be enough praise for the voice she was blessed with in her prime. A rare joy to listen to, a gift from the gods, and an entire instrument in itself. There has never been another voice like it, and the way she has explored the levels to her voice in so many different genres is so incredible to listen to. She is so underrated, not just in her voice, but how intelligent this woman is. A multi-talented force in music, her extensive vocabulary, and expressive lyricism, there is so much of Mariah that just doesn't get enough credit. An incredible genius songwriter. The way her mind works when remixing her own music is just mind-blowing, and so many little gems in her catalog still remain to be properly appreciated. There really is no area of life Mariah Carey hasn't tried and conquered. A true musical 
legend. Young lady, I couldn't have said it better myself. Now on to Anytime You Need a Friend. Just remember 
Anytime You Need a Friend is one of the most powerful songs Mariah has ever written and sung. I mean, you hear the passion in her voice. Anytime you need a friend, I'll be right here. Anybody that's ever had a best friend, a childhood friend, a friend that's been with you throughout your life can relate to this song. Mariah talks about her friendship with the brat in her book and I'm not sure if her and the brat might have even known each other at this point in time. It could have been a premonition. This could be a song of her crying out for help and needing a friend and in turn anytime you need a friend for that person who would befriend her. But her and the brat eventually would become friends. The brat helped her do during her darkest times, married to that evil devil bastard Tommy Matola. And Remember the movie Glitter? Mariah got the brat apart as playing her for I believe her foster sister and best friend in that movie, in the movie Glitter. So, I mean, I don't have a lot of personal friends. My best my best friend is my lady. Um, but you know, even though I try and not to bother her for anything. She has proven time and time again that anytime she, I need a friend, she's there for me. And I've done my best to try and be a friend to her. Ladies and gentlemen, there's so much more I could talk about when it comes to Mariah Carey. But this is the first of at least three parts. Yeah, this is going to be a three-part series. Part one is 1990 to 94 that we're about to close the books on. Her first four albums, Mariah Carey, Emotions, MTV Unplugged, and Music Box. Music Box being my favorite. As you notice, progressively, she has gotten better with each album. Her debut album, Mariah Carey, she was just a raw vocal talent. It hadn't been completely refined yet. You could see that she was on a level above everybody else, but it hadn't been fine-tuned. Emotions, same thing. It was raw, unbridled talent. It was getting there, though. MTV Unplugged proved to the world that she could perform and sing on a level above everybody else. Music Box, you saw her soul in songs like Hero. Anytime you need a friend without you. And the song that we will play after Jermaine's voice note, Dream Lover. You hear the soul coming out. And you hear the influence, the influences of a Tina Marie, Aretha Franklin in her music. When we do part two in a couple of months, we will be looking at the years from 1999 to the glitter disaster. And we will be looking at, of course, Always Be My Baby, but we start with the Daydream album, which took the shackles off her legs, and she became no longer the pop queen, but a pure soul queen. Mariah Carey is, without a doubt, one of the five greatest vocalists of all time 
a gift from God, like many people said, that either I read their testimony or they send voice notes. And she's overcome so many obstacles, and so much trauma in her life, childhood drama, from being ridiculed for being biracial. I didn't even mention a couple of incidents that had, matter of fact, I'll mention one. She was four years old in pre-K, and the assignment that the teachers and the student teachers gave the boys and girls, the four-year-olds in the class, the pre-K kids, was to draw a picture of your family. And at the time, Mariah's family was still together. Her parents hadn't got divorced yet. She writes about this in the book. She paints her 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 brother, her sister, her mother in, I guess, light colors, right? She uses a brown crayon to draw her father. When one of the student teachers looks at it, he lambasts her and says, what, what's your problem? What, why are you using a brown crayon for your father and everybody else is light-colored? Get it right, Mariah. You, 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 you're messing up the assignment. First of all, you don't talk to a four-year-old like that. And Mariah's like, but that, that's, that, that's my daddy. That's my daddy. My daddy's brown. And the student teacher and the teacher in charge all laughed at Mariah. How the fuck do you do that to a four-year-old girl? Then I talked about the incident with Becky and how she started crying when she met Mariah's father. Then there was a time when, I forgot what grade it was she was at. No, yes, she was in junior high school. And a similar thing happened to my mother and my lady. I'll talk about what happened to them after I tell you what Mariah wrote in the book. They found out that she was black in junior high school and a bunch of white students, female students, her classmates, when they found out that Mariah Carey's father was black, they jumped on her and called her the N-word. They chanted the N-word. Oh, Mariah's an N, Mariah's an N, over and over and over again. What kind of damage does that do to a young girl? When my mother first came over from Puerto Rico in 1954, she was six years old and she was in the first grade and she had long black straight hair. And one of the first days in the first grade, a group of black girls grabbed her by the hair and they were trying to yank her hair out because her hair was straight. Her sister came to her rescue and ran the girls off. Same thing happened to my lady. She was eight years old in 1983 when she came over from Trinidad, the country she was born in. And she has straight hair. And now she's a black Trini woman, right? She's always been proud of her African Trini heritage. But the first week in school, she was attacked by her classmates who didn't like the fact that her hair was straight. My mother overcame that. My baby overcame that. Mariah overcame that. 
This show is dedicated to the strength of black women. There is no stronger people on planet Earth than the black woman, whether she's from Puerto Rico, Santo Domingo, Haiti, Trinidad, Grenada, all of Africa, the United States, Panama, Costa Rica, Canada, wherever black people live in, grow up in, black women are the strongest creatures God ever created. Because I see what my mother went through. My mother lost her husband at a young age. Her brother died in Vietnam. Her favorite aunt died at 42. Her best friend was 45 when she died. My mother's had a massive heart attack, a minor stroke, almost got shot in the head while reading a book in our living room when I was 12 years old. She was 32. Twice, she almost died from double pneumonia. First, when she was 23. Second time, when she was 32. Lost two babies by miscarriages. Lost her oldest grandson at the age of 29, my son. She's overcome all of that. She's got rheumatoid arthritis. She has a very hard time walking. But she's 74, will be 75 in December, and she's still living, and she might outlive me. It's a good chance she could do that. Uh, my mother's been through hell and back, but she's overcome it, and she continues to laugh every day, all right? And I do my best in taking care of her. My lady, my baby, lost her brother. And her sister, they were in their early 20s. Her brother was stabbed to death in Toronto. Her sister died while in medical school. Okay. She was 23. I believe her brother was 20, 21 when they both died way too young. Her best friend, my baby's best friend at 19, died. Okay. She's overcome a lot of setbacks and so they show the strength of a black woman just like Mariah Carey has her entire 53 years on this planet over overcoming trauma of being a biracial child growing up in a racist society being in prison by a maniac, a, 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 a control freak, a powerful figure who has never had to face the court of law, a court of law for his actions towards her. A mental breakdown, uh, a mother and two siblings who have taken advantage of the fact that she's the breadwinner and has blackmailed her into giving her money and has gone to websites and tabloids got paid to spout lies about her. Kudos to her and Nick Cannon for continuing to have a wonderful relationship for their two children, the twins. Um, 
something happened to Nick Cannon. I don't know. I don't know what kind of magic Mariah has between her legs, but Nick Cannon has not been the same since they got divorced. He is getting everybody. Look, before he married Mariah Carey, Nick Cannon never had any children. Since he divorced Mariah Carey, I think he's, he's had another seven kids from all these Mariah lookalikes. And by the way, none of them look as good as Mariah, even though Mariah is twice the age of some of these women. Uh, I think Nick Cannon was uh, psychologically damaged by his relationship with uh, the beautiful and talented Mariah Carey. I want to thank the listeners that sent in their testimonials and voice note contributions. I want to thank the listeners that listen to this all the time. I hope that this episode didn't leave you angry at the way I talked about Tommy Matola. I hope it didn't cause you to turn off the program because of my rants about this evil devil. But there'll be more on him when I talk about Michael Jackson during the early 2000s. All right. So be prepared. As long as there's breath in my body, I'll be ripping Rudy Giuliani and Tommy Matola. Next time on the Legends of Sports and Music, the next musical tribute will be on LL Cool J Part 2. This time we look at all his major hits. His Part 1 was on the ballads, his love songs, his, his hip-hop ballads. Part 2 will be on his hits like Bad and Radio and uh, Mama Said Knock You Out and so forth. Four three two one. Who shot you? Those are the songs we'll be discussing on the LL Cool J Part Two. And down the line, in the month of August, don't be surprised. Well, one show is already confirmed. Um, my buddy Cheyenne from Detroit is going to do a whole show. It's just going to be me and her, no voice notes, talking about the legacy of the OJ's, Eddie Levert. Walt Williams. And I'm hoping hope that'll be in the month of August. Also in the month of August, I'm going to try to do shows, tribute shows on Jodeci and New Edition. So look forward to that. Sp- uh, as far as the sports part of the podcast go, next week you will be hearing an episode on Novak Djokovic. One of the greatest tennis players, if not the greatest tennis player of all time. That'll be coming up next week. And look for uh, future episodes on Aaron Donald and Eddie Guerrero. Coming up now is Jermaine's voice note. Then we will finish the podcast with Dream Lover, my all-time favorite Mariah Carey up-tempo song. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, this is the OG Rob Silver saying, Be blessed and be a blessing. Thanks, Rob, for the opportunity once again. Mariah Carey, a legend. One of my memories of listening to her music a lot of times was the 90s. I think of high school. I think of the school dances, um, the uh, barbecues. Um, These are obviously one of her... Probably one of her most popular songs, you know, Dream Lover and Fantasy. 
Um, I'm focusing on those two right now because those are the songs that when I hear them, it really brings me back to those times when, you know, you're, you're, you're with your friends, you know, you're, you're at the dance, you're not, you know, you, all the men are on one side and all the women are on the other side and you're just kind of posted up on the corner. And a song like this, uh, Dream Lover, kind of brings, well, where I was and the school that I went to, kind of brought everybody towards the middle of the dance floor in a sense. Not necessarily um, kind of, you know, bumping and grinding to certain songs that you would do so, but it was, it just kind of lightened the atmosphere. And, um, Sometimes we'd love it when the DJs at that time would have like an extended, um, extended mix of either fantasy or of, of Dream Lover, uh, so that you can just kind of mellow out to it a little longer. Um, first, when I heard her, I thought she was black. You know, these days with the social media, it's easy to when an artist comes out, it's easy to see who they were. But by then, we had um, much music similar to what the Americans have as MTV. So that was when I found out actually what she looked like. And I've heard her songs before thinking this whole time that she was black. And finally I was able to see her on uh, on much music. And I was like, okay. But that aside, tremendous singer. The, the notes that she was able to hit, especially in her early days, that is very difficult to do and to hold those notes in some of those songs the her ability that she had is very very it's almost second to none there's not many other that can hit that high note and keep it um she's not my favorite female singer um but she's right up there but a lot of her songs Especially in her early songs, especially in the 90s, where a lot of them were feel-good songs. And again, you hear you hear that song, if you can be in like, like a grocery store, especially nowadays, or a, some type of department store, maybe a song comes up on YouTube as a suggestion. Either way, you listen to it, or you watch the video, and for me, instantly, I remember those high school days. You know, I remember those dances. Um, I remember my, I, th- I think my wife told me before when she was watching one of the videos, she, she was saying that Dream Lover video, we'd choreographed that and performed it every step and every move. And, you know, we laughed about that because, you know, that's how it was back then. You know, that's just how it was back then. It was just a different time than now. Yes, there are artists now. I always say this. There are artists now and there's music now and we all know that. But I think that the times are different. I have, we have, my wife and I have kids. You know, obviously we have two adult kids. But also have a 14-year-old that's going to be 50 in a couple months. We've watched them concerning music. We've seen them. We've seen the artists that they like and the music they listen to. It doesn't seem the same like how it was for us back then. That's just my observation. I don't know if any of the listeners on here have kids and if they've observed them with their artists that they like, but it just doesn't seem the same. And we did bring them up on a lot of those old songs. We always played them. And it seems that they, especially our oldest daughter, seems that she still remembers a lot of those tracks 
still enjoys hearing them. She has them on her on her playlist, on her rotation. So at least with her, you know, the, um, uh, that's something that you know that that was kind of instilled in her. But you know, the young, the, my my son and my daughter, they kind of like the music that you know you hear nowadays. But that being said, going back to to Moran and those times, um, I'll never forget that I had a friend that was obsessed with her. My friend Andrew just loved her. Loved the way she looked, always cut out photos of from magazines, put it in his binder, put it in his locker. Just was obsessed with her. And when I hear I can hear a song now and I can just go back to that and I can just laugh about it. But Mariah Carey, um, again, just uh, one of the greatest female singers. Obviously, extremely, extremely accomplished. That is something that is second to none. The amount of records that she sold, she sold. The amount of people that she has touched over the years. And again, an impact on me. A lot of singers, a lot of groups have had impacts, small impacts, large impacts. But if I hear a song from her, it takes me back to a time that means that she made an impact on me. So once again, Rob, I thank you. And all those who are listening, blessings to you. And Mariah Carey, Rob, a great pick. Take care.